Summit Bible Church, it's so good to be here, and I've heard so many good things about you. Uh, we miss Morgan and Bree big time. We love them. Uh, we so appreciate their ministry, their giftedness, their investment in our church, and we have a lot of faith in them here at Summit and uh, what the, the Lord is going to use them for here. Uh, I hope that you're loving on them. I hope you're caring for them because uh, if you're not, send them back to us because we will, okay? We, uh, we really appreciate the Maitlands and I just, I, I think the, the, the most of Morgan's preaching, like he is such a, a, an effective communicator of God's word. And uh, he brings the word of God to bear on our souls, and uh, we grow as a result, and so, so thankful for, for them. Yes, I'm from New Zealand. Is the accent okay? Um, you know, it's funny, because you, you can't really control an accent, right? It just is what it is. And, um, but it's, we, we've lived here a total of 15 years in California. Uh, that's uh, half of our marriage. We've been here. And uh, when we, whenever we go back to New Zealand, they think we have an American accent. What do you think? <laughs> do I have an American accent? Yes or no? Oh, man. See, I'm stuck somewhere in the middle. I don't know. You can't control these things. I hope, uh, I hope that it's uh, an okay thing here this morning. I just want to say thanks for, for having us uh, here. Uh, anyone been to New Zealand, by the way? Jimmy and Sierra, they're the only ones. The rest of you are dead to me. No, I'm joking. Okay. No, you need to go to New Zealand and visit. New Zealand's a, an awesome place, land of hobbits and wizards. And I mean, if anything, you want to go there just to visit Hobbiton, you know, and uh, it's just a beautiful place and uh, people are friendly and uh, I just think New Zealand is... So it's funny, someone asked, I don't know if you were there, Morgan and Bree, but when Serena and I first came to Faith... Bible Church down in Murrieta, we were interviewing and we had a little meet, a, a members meeting, I think, with the church. And uh, someone, someone must have been thinking that this sailor couple from New Zealand were looking to come to America for a better life. Isn't that what internationals do sometimes, like refugees or so? They come to America for a better life. And so they asked the question, you know, what, so why are you coming to America? And at the time, Obama was, was uh, president. I said, we're coming for Obamacare. No, I'm I, I was just joking. But, but people think like America, and I'm like, you don't understand we've left New Zealand to come to minister at Faith Bible Church, and uh, we're, we're giving up a great country. I think you should go visit. We love our church. I know that you love your church here, and uh, I know that God is doing something significant here at Summit Bible Church, and it's an amazing thing. Uh, this church began, what, 10 years ago? Was it 2010? Something like that. And uh, 10 years of God's faithfulness to you all. And really, I, I've got that in my mind as I come to minister to you this morning, uh, this afternoon, sorry. And I really want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to value one another in the body of Christ. I want you to be able to look at one another, 10 years in the making, now, and uh, some of you are newer, some of you have been here from the beginning, but I want you to be able to look at each other and see value in one another in the way that you serve here in this congregation. And I, I imagine that that's happening quite a bit, but I want to encourage you even more. 
to do it even more at this church, to value and appreciate the spiritual gifts that everyone has uh, to bring into this ministry and into this congregation. Maybe I could illustrate this way. I've got a picture for you. We'll put it up here on the screen. And uh, this, I, this is an old picture, and I know the resolution. It's all pixelated and what have you. Uh, this, this is a church I visited some years ago, and uh, they had, at the time, it's not happening anymore, but at the time, they had what they called the, their, their parking lot ministry, the drive-in church. And uh, this was a long, long time ago. What you could do is uh, you could drive into the parking lot at this church and basically just sit in your car for the entire service. They had the big screen, and you could view the church service that was happening live inside the building, but you could view it from outside in the parking lot from your car. You, uh, you dial up the, you know, the right radio station in your car, and you can hear the audio, and then watch the video. And uh, basically, you could go through the entire church service and, and observe the, the service from a distance. And then when you're done, you could pull over to this little window, an ATM window, and give your offering and then drive out. You didn't have to talk to anyone, didn't have to interact with anyone. Uh, there, was, there was no need to have any kind of fellowship or contact with anyone at all. And, and it was amazing because at the time there was something like between 50 or 100 cars would, were pulling up to this parking lot ministry and, and watching the service this way. And, and I, I, was, I got to thinking about it and I'm thinking, what, what is it that kind of generates this interest to go to church but not actually be a part of the church? Does that make sense? To attend and be a spectator but not actually be a member and be involved in a church, because that's what was happening. There was this whole mentality that said, well, church is just about attendance, observing the service and nothing else. Not only that, so there was the people in the parking lot who were just attending, that's all they did, and then there's the people on the inside of the building who were happy for the people in the parking lot to stay in the parking lot. There's kind of a divide happening. And there's two mentalities. Some, one group is saying, well, I don't need to be on the inside. And the people on the inside are saying, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you can stay out there. And, and it just is not the right way to think about the church. Amen? Are you agreeing with me? This is not a church. Um, you know, we live in unique times, and, and I know at the beginning of the year, uh, churches were doing live stream services, and maybe that was even happening here, I'm not sure. Uh, people stayed at home and watched online. It, that was kind of a unique time. That's not the way the church should operate, though, right? Not ultimately. And over time, people are fil filtering back in again. But I've got to say this. Maybe at the beginning of the year, there was good reason, good justification to stay at home and view ministry and service from home. I get it. We didn't quite know what coronavirus was. We just didn't. So now we know a, a little more. And, but I, I'm hoping this, as we understand the nature of the church and the nature of the virus, I'm hoping that we're not so comfortable now staying home that we just continue staying at home and not being involved in the church. It's time to get back to church. You agree? You know, and the, re the reason why I'm so concerned about this is we live in the 21st century where I really think that churches 
are, at least in the Western world, are made up primarily of people who want to stay on the fringe. They're on the sidelines, and they think that ministry is kind of a spectator sport. They want to, they want to come but not be involved. They want to be there but not be known. They, they, they want to stay anonymous, they sit at the back. I was, just, I was talking to the guys in the back before, the security team or whoever they are, you know. Um, there are people who are just on the fringe, and they want to stay that way. And it just isn't, it, it shouldn't be that way in the church. Now, I can see some nodding, I can hear a few amens here and there, and so I think you're with me, we're on the same page, but let me give you a biblical justification for thinking this way. Is that okay? So I want you to, I want you to take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians, and uh, I really want to encourage you to view one another in, in an appreciative way, to look at one another at Summit Bible Church and say, boy, I really appreciate that person, I really love what that person brings to the table, their spiritual gift, the way they serve, their faithfulness, and to be able to encourage one another, not only that, to value your own spiritual gift. And, and understand that God has given you a spiritual gift so that you can serve, so that you can do something in the church. Because sitting on the sidelines and not being involved is not the way it should be. How is it then that we should view one another in the church? And that is the question I want to answer this afternoon. Paul wrote to the Corinthians because they were dealing with this exact same issue. And I want you to see this with me here. We're going to start in chapter 1. Eventually we'll get here to chapter 12. But in chapter 1, I want you to see that this church in Corinth were really having some major problems. There were some divisions in the church. There were people who were kind of taking sides and there were schisms and it wasn't healthy. So look at this with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 11. Verse 11, Paul says, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people. I've been informed that there are quarrels among you. And I mean this, that each one of you is saying, well, I'm of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. There's all these schisms in the church, and there are people that are lining up under their favorite leaders. They're taking sides, and they're at odds with one another. And then Paul asks this question in verse 13. He says, has Christ been divided? That's what was happening. The body of Christ had become divided. So Paul finds out from Chloe's people that there are quarrels in the church, and people are taking sides, and they're divided, there's no commonality, people are not serving one another because they don't like one another, they're not honoring one another. And, and as you read through, if you're, if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, you read through and you realize that one of the problems in this church is that the people were not viewing one another in a biblical way. They didn't appreciate one another in a Christ-honoring way. In fact, they were making distinctions 
get this, of certain classes of people. There were the haves, there were the have-nots. There were the, the people with the really public, showy, uh, very visible spiritual gifts, and there were those with the, what seemed to be lesser, less visible, less showy kinds of spiritual gifts. And these people were at odds with one another. And, and, and they used these differences as justification to not get along. It's really, really bad. And so with that in mind, as we come then to chapter 12, I want you to turn there with me. Chapter 12, Paul is writing to them to encourage them to see each other rightly. And I want to read this whole passage here. It's a little longer, but I think it's an interesting passage. I think you'll like it a lot. Chapter 12, we'll start reading in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. And, and here's the question I want you to have in your mind as we read. How are we to view, this is the question, how are we to view our gifted brothers and sisters in the church? Okay? How are we to view our gifted brothers and sisters in the church? Let's read this passage starting in verse 12. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, well, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, or well, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, well, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, 
all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. It's a pretty cool passage, isn't it? Very illustrative, very pictorial language. And I think the points that this passage make are actually pretty clear in regards to being involved in the church. Now, there was a phrase in this section that was repeated over and over again. Did you see it? Many, many times. In fact, you'll see it there first in verse 12. Uh, Paul says the body is one and yet has many what? Many members. And then again in verse 12, he says, All the members of the body, though they are many, are one what? Yeah, one body. Verse 14, look at it again. The body is not one member, but many. And then in verse 20, there are many members, but how many bodies? Just one. Verse 27, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Over and over, Paul is making the same point. You can always tell this uh, in the Bible. If you see repetition like this, that's because the author is trying to make a point. And here's the repetition. Paul says it over and over and over again. But it's interesting because sometimes, did you notice that this? Sometimes he says there's many members, but how many bodies? Just one. Sometimes he says it that way. Many members, one body. There are other times he says there's one body, but many members. He flips the order. Why? Because he's talking to two different groups in the church. There's one group in the church who realizes there's lots of members, but they need to learn there's only one body. And there's another group in the church who's got that down. They know there's one body, but they need to recognize, boy, there's many members who need to function in that body. So he's speaking to these two different groups. There, and here's the groups. This is how it kind of divided out. There's one group that said, I have a spiritual gift that's really important. You really need me. You need my spiritual gift. My gift is actually the most important gift. And the rest of you, you can just sit, sit around and do nothing. Because my gift's the best one. So some people in the church were saying this. And there were other people in the church saying, well, my gift is not very important at all. And since I can't do what he does, I'm just going to sit over here in the corner and do nothing. And Paul is addressing these two groups. And he's saying to the, the, the proud, arrogant people who think they're the best ones, like my gift is the best, he's saying, listen, you need to value the other members in the church. And he's saying to those members, you've got to understand that you've got an important role in this church and you better get in the game, get active. It's like they were people in that drive-in church and some of them were just sitting there in the parking lot because they didn't think that their gift was worth anything to the church. They just need to get active. So Paul is addressing both of these groups to one group, he says, the body's not one member, but many. To the other group, he says, there's many members, but how many bodies? Just one. Now, what I really believe Paul wants these believers 
to be able to, to say to one another is this. And this is the catchphrase. This is the thing you want to write down and remember as you walk out of here today. You go past the security guard at the back in the back row there. As you're walking out, this is the thing that you need to remember. You need to be able to say to one another, you need me and I need what? You. You need me, I need you. If you forget everything else, remember that. In the church of God, here at Summit Bible Church, you need me and I need you. It's that simple. Let's look at this here. We need to be able to learn, and this is what Paul is writing to the Corinthians, we need to be able to say both of these equally. You need my spiritual gift and I need your spiritual gift. And You, you know, when a congregation really understands these two facts about itself, then it's able to boast being unified and being balanced in that congregation. So let's deal with both of these and see what God has to say. First of all, I'm, I'm hoping you've got the notes, so take some notes here. Firstly, we need to be able to say to one another, you need my spiritual gift. Okay, stop right there. You need my spiritual gift. Now, I'm not part of the congregation. I'm just here today. Okay, I get it. But just for the sake of argument, let's say I was here, okay, part of this church. You need my spiritual gift. If I stood up here and proclaimed that, would you think, well, boy, that guy's kind of arrogant. Would you think that? Who does this guy think he is? He thinks that I need his spiritual gift. Kind of feels a little bit arrogant, a little bit boastful. But what about this? Instead of saying, you need my spiritual gift, instead of saying that, maybe I just sit in the corner and don't do anything. I mean, that's the alternative. If I, if I don't believe that you need my gift, I'm just going to sit over there. In fact, I'll sit in the parking lot and view the live stream, right? To say you need my spiritual gift is not necessarily arrogant. It doesn't have to be as long as I say it with a humility, right? And I say it because God has gifted me. I know he has. It's a gift. And my gift is not for my sake. It's to serve others. If I have a humility about it and I say to you in my mind, and I say to you humbly, you need my spiritual gift, therefore I'm going to be active in this church. Therefore I'm going to do in this church what God has called me to do. Then can't that be a good thing? Because the alternative is to sit on the sidelines and do nothing. Right? So I don't think this is necessarily arrogant. The problem with the Corinthian church is there's a large number of people who considered themselves to have a weaker gift and they, they thought well, my gift is like not really that important and, and and they felt hard done by and you know what they said they said if I can't do what those people are doing they're pointing their finger at the other group in the church the one with the public showy gifts and they say if I can't do what they're doing then I'm going to do nothing at all now that seems to me like being very arrogant actually I'm going to flip it around. The one who says, I'm not going to do anything is the arrogant one. And you know why? Because of envy. They're just envious. Now look at this here. Uh, I want you to look at verses 14 through 16 with me. And you can see it right in the text. And I, I don't even have to explain this, but look at this. Verse 14, the body is not one member but many. 
And if the foot should say, just imagine this as someone in the church, okay? Just imagine. The foot says this. Well, because I'm not the preacher, or I'm not the worship leader, because I'm not the hand, or therefore I'm not a part of the body, I'm just going to sit over here and do nothing. If I can't do what they're doing, I'm going to do nothing at all. Paul says, wait a second, it's not for this reason any of the lesser part of the body. It isn't. And then he gives the illustration again. If the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body either. So I'm going to sit around, just observe, just watch from a distance. And Paul says, but wait, it's not for this reason any the lesser part of the body. And so Paul takes this picture and he tries to use it to explain to these believers that These ones who thought that they were hard done by, they thought they had missed out on the best spiritual gifts, they're actually not superfluous. They're not meant to be sidelined. In fact, they are just as much a part of the body as anyone else. The absolute worst thing we can do is demean ourselves and think less of ourselves and, and, and then state even silently, And our hearts, well, I'm useless to this church. I'm just not going to do anything. And I want to give you three reasons why that's the case. So in your notes here, as you write these down, the the, the first reason why we should be able to say to one another, you need my spiritual gift is because of this. Number one, envy destroys a balanced church. Just does. Envy destroys destroys a balanced church. If we all understand how God has designed us to minister in the church and we're willing to accept our gifts and just get on with it, there will be tremendous balance within the body because all of the parts will be functioning the way they're supposed to function. But if all we do is we go around and we're envious because we're not like someone else and we can't do what they do, then We never get to accept how it is that God has designed us to minister in the church, and that church will never be balanced. Just won't be. Do we have any cyclists? Any cyclists in the congregation? Ah, you're missing out so much. Cycling's like the best sport second to rugby. Anyway, so in cycling, there's the Tour de France. Have you heard of the Tour de France, right? Happens every year in July. Uh, this year was different because of COVID. It was slightly delayed. But in the Tour de France, uh, it goes for three weeks. It's one race for three weeks. They race every day, except they, they take two, two off days, but they're racing every day. In the Tour de France, there's around, usually around 20 teams. And on each team, there's nine riders. And each team... There's a management and a support crew and all of that. There's nine riders. In the management, typically leading up to the race, uh, they, will just, they will nominate their lead rider. They will nominate their guy who they are going to support and help to win the race. And what they say is, if our guy, our leader, wins the race, then that's a win for the entire team. Makes sense, right? And the reason for that is because if all nine riders decide that they want to win, then guess what? None of them win. It takes nine riders to help one guy win. Here's the way it works. 
you got the one guy and they're going to protect him so that he can win the race in the end. And so if he gets tired, he gets thirsty, you know, one of the other eight riders will go back and get the drinks from the team car and bring it back to the peloton. If he gets hungry, one of them will go back and get the food and bring it up to him. A race is five, six, seven hours a day. And so they're constantly eating and drinking throughout the ride, and they've got eight guys looking after the one guy so he doesn't have to do the extra work to go back and come forward again. Make sense? If it's windy, even if it's not windy, you've got eight guys who lead, and he's following behind. You know why? Because if he's there drafting behind everyone else, he's going to save 30 to 40% of his energy. And the whole idea is you've got eight guys protecting the one guy so that at the end, he's got all the energy in the world to go out and win this race. Pretty cool. People think cycling is an individual sport. It isn't. It's a team sport. But imagine this. What if one or two or three of those riders decided, you know what, I'm not going to be the domestique, that's what they call them, the servant. I'm not going to be the domestique anymore. I'm going to win this thing for myself. And he takes on an individualistic approach to this race. Guess what? He's not going to win it either. And no one on his team will win it either. Because you've got other teams who are working together and they're committed to support one another. They're going to get their guy to the end. That one team that has internal politics going on and they're fighting to be the best guy and get the best job and to win the race, they don't win nothing. It's exactly the same in the church. Exactly the same. Envy destroys churches just like it does Tour de France teams. It's all envy. It's all competition. If you sit on the sidelines because you can't get the good jobs then your attitude will wreak havoc in the church. Everyone's needed. Everyone's required to do their part. We cannot let envy get in the way of that. Let me give you a second reason, okay? A second reason why we ought to be able to say to one another, you need my spiritual gift. It's here in verse 17. He says to them, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? (laughs) And, And... And if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? In other words, we can't all have the same job. We can't all be the same person. We can't all operate with the same spiritual gift. If you take on the role that someone else was designed to do and you try to pretend to be them, then you're not being who God made you to be. And the church ends up looking like a monster. You know that guy on Monsters, Inc., Mike Wazowski, right? He's the guy with the big eye. His arms were flimsy little things, like little, you know, lines for legs. He didn't have arms and legs. He wasn't a whole body. He was a monster. And why? Because he's one big eye. That's all he did. He just looked. That's what he did, right? Well, he did have a mouth as well, but... It's just a monster. We don't want the church to look like that. We want the church to be a fully functioning body with all the members doing what God has designed them to do. And so the second reason, here's in your your notes here, the second reason why we should be able to say to one another, you need my spiritual gift, is because diversity 
diversity ensures a balanced church. If we all understand that God has uniquely gifted us to be different from one another and to perform a function that, is, that no one else in the church can perform, and if we all just get on with doing that, then God uniquely designs us to be a body that he wants us to be. Look, Paul actually says it here in verse 19 again. He says, if all, if they all were one member, where would the body be? In other words, we can't all be the same member. We can't all do the same thing. If we tried, there'd be no collection of gifted people, and where would the body be? There just wouldn't be one. uh, Serena and I were talking to my father uh, last night on Zoom. He lives in New Zealand. He's 81 years old. Um, I wish you could meet him. He's like a great example, actually, for just what we're talking about today. Years ago, him and my mother and myself and my sister, we were in what was called a Plymouth Brethren Church. Anyone know a little bit about Plymouth Brethren? Okay. Years ago, if you were in a Plymouth Brethren Church, what that meant was that uh, they, they really believed there was no such thing as a gifted pastor, a gifted preacher, all the men should take their turn to preach, is what they said. All the men. Kind of get onto a roster, the men take their turn, everyone gets to preach. Well, my dad is not a preacher. He's not now, he wasn't then either. (laughs) My dad didn't even graduate from high school. And, and he felt a ton of pressure to, to, to operate in an, a sphere of ministry that he wasn't gifted by God to do. You know what, what my, dad, my dad loves to do? Dishes. He loves to mow the lawns at the church, cut the grass. He loves to take the trash out. He loves to fix things. And most of his ministry is during the week and no one can even see what he's doing. That's how God made him to be. But there was all this pressure in those early years for him to minister in a way that God didn't design him to minister. How unfair is that? Too much pressure. Too much pressure to be that guy. And and so now, after all these years, my father, he knows who he is. He knows what his spiritual gifts are. He's a helper in the church. That's what he does. And, and he loves it, he knows that about himself, and he just go, he gets on with the job of serving people all the time. He just doesn't stop. That's what he does. And it's because of people like him that the church can be balanced. Imagine if there were no Keith Shalers, that's my dad, in the church. Just imagine that. That church would stop operating. It would just cease from being. So what we need to recognize then is that unity in the church only comes as we accept each individual person's diversity. We're just different, and God meant it that way. Let me give you a third reason why we should be able to say to one another, you need my spiritual gift. It's because of this. God designs a balanced church. Okay? God designs a balanced church. Look at verse 18. Paul says, now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as who desired? Just as he desired. God did it. God desired to put the members in the body just the way he wanted them to be 
The point is this. God is in charge of who does what. God is in charge of who gets what spiritual gift. There's no board of elders, there's no pastor, there's no voting system. You can't assign spiritual gifts. You can't swap with anyone. Oh, I like yours. Can't do it. I'll give you mine. No, you can't do that. You, you can't even choose your own spiritual gift. God chooses your spiritual gift. Just does. God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. So if that's the case, then we better just understand that he's the one who has done this and get on with the job, right? Who are we to fight against God? Who are we to get in the way of what God has designed? So let me just review. There's three points here. Since envy destroys a balanced church, and secondly, since diversity ensures a balanced church, and then thirdly, since God has designed a balanced church, therefore we ought to be willing to say to one another, you need my spiritual gift. I recognize that humbly. I recognize it because that's the way God has made me. He's given me a spiritual gift, and I, just, I can't afford to sit around and do nothing because God wants me to serve in this church. And one of the things I valued being at Faith Bible Church this past seven years is there is a high priority put on ser- serving. Um, you want to become a member at Faith Bible Church, you can't just be in attendance. You've got to be serving somewhere. Because that, that's what members do. They serve somewhere. You know my encouragement for you, Summit Bible Church, and I, I imagine many of you are serving, but maybe some of you aren't. You consider yourself to be a member of this church. Get serving. Get using your spiritual gift. Put it into practice. Not because you're th- you think you're something special, but because you just want to be faithful to God. He's given you a spiritual gift and you want to put it into practice. Okay, we're halfway. You ready? We're more than halfway. The second thing we ought to be able to say to one another is this. I need your spiritual gift. I need you. You need me. I need you. We can't ever afford to get to the point where we're just happy to see people sitting inactively. We we need them to be serving in the church. We we need them to be doing what God has designed them to do. Now, here in Corinth, it's interesting. There were some people who had elevated themselves so high in the ranks of that church and that they thought so much more about themselves than they ought that they were actually saying, I don't need that person. And and if that person wants to come and attend, that's great, but they they should just sit there. They shouldn't do anything because I got this. I, I got the better spiritual gift. I'll do it. Trust me. They can sit there and do nothing. I, I got it. There were people in Corinth saying this. And they were actually happy for people to be on the sidelines and not to get into the game. And when Paul heard about this, he had to deal with the problem because this is arrogance. You want to talk about arrogance? This is arrogance. When someone says, I am the man. I got the spiritual gifts here. So look at this, what what he says here in verse 20. 
He says to them, but now there are many members but one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, well, I have no need of you. And the head cannot say to the feet, well, I have no need of you. Listen, if someone in the church was saying that, boy, oh boy, that would be a sign of arrogance, wouldn't it? How terrible is that? And so the first reason we should be able to say to one another, I need your spiritual gift is because of this. It's because independence destroys a unified church. Absolutely destroys it. Arrogant independence will destroy the church. You know, and and as soon as people start thinking that their spiritual gift is the best one, the only one that's needed around here, then that's the end of that church. That church is going to be divided. It's going to be so sad. You know, there's the story of two hands. They were talking with each other one day. This is not in the Bible. This is an illustration, okay? Two hands, and they were talking to each other one day. The right hand said to the left hand, said, I'm more important than you are. My owner can't write a letter without me. The other hand said, but who holds the paper on which he writes? And then the right hand said, well, who swings the hammer? And the left hand answered, who holds the nail? The right hand asked, who guides the plane when the carpenter smooths a board? And the left hand responded, who steadies the board? And the point is that not one of us is any better than anyone else. We're all needed in the church. That's why Paul continues here. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, he says, On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are in fact what? They're the other ones who are necessary. They might seem to be weaker, But Paul declares, and therefore God declares, they are the ones who are more necessary. You know, when you take a look at the human body, it's really interesting. You you look at the members of the body, we notice there are some very, uh, you might say they're very hardy members of the body, like your your hand and your arm, they they can take a whack. You can knock them around a little bit and they're going to survive, right? And, and then there are other members of the body which just seem to be a little weaker. Like if you treated my heart like I treat my hand sometimes, then I'd probably die. <laughs> a, a whack to the brain. The, the brain is weak in and of itself. You whack it, that brain is going to cause severe damage. You know, that injury is going to mess up the function of my body. So here, in God's providential design, it's a wonderful thing that he, he, was, he was in charge when he put the human body together. He takes the seemingly weaker members of our bodies. There's, there's our hands and our feet and legs the, the, and, and arms. They're hardy. They, they don't need any protection, but there's the weaker members, brain, heart, lungs, liver, puts these members inside of a ribcage and a skull for protection. The weaker members of our body are, in fact, the most necessary. The more visible, you know, hands, arms, publicly seen members of my body. You you chop my hand off, 
I mean, that would, that would be bad, but I'll survive, get through life, uh, take my brain out, maybe there'd be no change at all, I'm not sure, no, that's not true, take my brain out and I'm, I'm a dead, I'm a dead man. So here it is, the Lord is saying this, even though a member of a body is less visible, doesn't mean that it's less important, in fact, it's even more important. It's a great illustration. In the same way in the church, we've got people who are serving behind the scenes midweek. They're doing this, they're doing that, they're serving. They don't glorify themselves. They're just faithfully doing what they do. No one ever sees it. They are the ones who are the most important. That's what God is saying. The body cannot exist without them. And how terrible, just think about this, how terrible would it be for any of us to say, well, we don't need them. They could go away, and we'll be just fine without them. That's just not true. Let me give you a second reason why we should be able to say to one another, I need your spiritual gift. It's because of this. Honor, honor ensures a unified church. Look at verse 23. Paul says in verse 23, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor and our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness. Let me explain this just here for a second. A little confusing, I think. Paul is using that picture of a human body again, and he's, he's saying that some parts of our bodies are not as honorable as others. For instance, I, go, I wake up in the morning, and I'm about to go into the day. I put my hands on display. You can look at my hands. I'm not ashamed, okay? My hands, look, look, I'm not ashamed, okay? My face... You can see my face, not a shame. There are other parts of my body which I'm going to put clothes on because I don't want you to see those parts, right? And so, and Paul is taking this illustration. He's saying in, in a body, you, you bestow honor, you clothe some members because they're less seemly and, 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 and other members are more seemly, so you put them on display. And, and so, if you look at this here in verse 23, that word bestow is really interesting, a Greek word, pyretithemi. It simply means to clothe something. And so, what we do, we wake up in the morning and, and we say, we're going into the day, we take our unseemly parts of our bodies and we put clothes on to make them seemly so we can go out upon, into our business for that day. And then verse 24, he says there, our seemly members have no need of it. In other words, our faces, our hands are fine without clothing. How does it relate in the church? Really interesting. He's simply saying this. There are people who think that they have the less honorable, less seemly gifts. We need to get them and bestow upon them more abundant honor. Now, they'll hate it because they actually like working behind the scenes. They don't want to be seen but we get them and we praise them and we thank them and we, pr and, and we bestow upon them, we clothe them with honor. Whereas the people who have those public roles, who are, who are most visible to the church, they get enough attention already. They already get some thanks. Don't need to do that with them. You get those people who are behind the scenes and honor them. You get the people like my father, I, I, I can't imagine bringing my dad up here. He would hate it. He'd just hate it. But that's the whole point. Praise those ones who are 
serving behind the scenes. Let me give you one more reason, and then we're done. Third reason why should, we should be able to say to one another, I need your spiritual gift. It's here in verse 24, and it's this. God designs a unified church. We've talked about it before, but Paul says it again. Verse 24, God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. God has done this. Paul's reminding the Corinthians, it's God who assigns the gifts. God composes the body. Who are we to question him? And he's given more abundant honor to that member which lacked. Why? Verse 25, so that there wouldn't be any divisions in the body. You know, churches split all the time. There are schisms, there are fights, there are politics within churches. Why? Because people don't love each other anymore. They don't appreciate one another. And, and, and they don't want other people to be serving. And they don't like some people getting the limelight. It's a terrible thing. So God composes the body in this way. He finishes, look here in verse 25. He says, There should be no division in the body, but the members should have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, then all the members rejoice with it. So we understand that we're all members of the same body. You know, uh, 10 years ago, it was 2010, just when this church was being formed, I, I had a pretty big surgery. I, I had lived the first 40 years of my life with a, a, an issue, a, a blocked pancreatic duct. It would, it would come and go, but created all kinds of pain, pancreatitis. And uh, so 10 years ago, they came up with uh, a new procedure, and they said, we think we can fix this. And so I went into the hospital with a massive surgery. They actually took some of my intestine and removed it and then sewed that or welded that down inside my pancreas to create a new pancreatic duct. Amazing, amazing procedure. And it was actually funny because there was a little uh, nurse there at the time and, uh, and she, she came and asked for permission to watch the surgery. She was training. So she's like, can, can I come and watch the surgery? I said, sure. And so afterwards, after the surgery, she came and said, you know, Mr. Shadow, I saw your guts. I'm like, she, she hadn't done that class on, like, bedside manner yet, you know. So anyway, so it was funny. So she, she was there, but the doctor came and gave the report. And he said it was really interesting because when he got inside, I have a foot-long scar across, okay? He got inside, and basically the pancreas is at the back. So they take everything out. Literally, they do. They take everything out to get access to the pancreas. And um, he, he noticed, he said this, you know, your pancreas was there, and the pancreas is the part of the body that was sick. And your stomach had come alongside and cocooned itself around the pancreas so that if the pancreas had burst, the stomach was there kind of to protect the rest of my body from the, you know, the poisonous juices that would have escaped. And not only that, but then he said my bowel had come along and cocooned itself to my stomach. Isn't that amazing? How the members of the body kind of protect one another exactly how the church ought to be you, you know when you when, when you hit your thumb with a hammer you don't need to, your you don't need to tell your eye to cry 
Come on, I, do your thing. You don't need to do that, right? It just happens. That's the way the church ought to be. It's what Paul is saying. When, when someone in the body suffers, then all of us suffer. We come around and we help and we love them. If someone's rejoicing, then we rejoice with them. The church should be that way. So there it is. We're done. We need to be able to say two things to one another. You need me, and I need you. That's what I want you to remember as you go out. You need my spiritual gift, and so therefore, I'm not wanting to sit around and do nothing. And I need your spiritual gift, so I'm going to encourage you to get busy and serve. And, and if you can do that, then Summit Bible Church will be a healthy church. Look here, he finishes in verse 27, kind of rounds it out here. He says, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And of course, that's where he started, all the way back in verse 13. Look at it there. Verse 13, by one spirit, we were all baptized, immersed into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. Doesn't matter doesn't matter what our racial background is, doesn't matter our social status, doesn't matter what our occupations are, we've all been made to drink of one spirit. We're one body. This is the great equalizing passage of scripture. All baptized and immersed into one body and each of us have a huge role to play. Can I just say it this way? God has designed every single one of you i'm looking at your eyes okay everyone we could come and talk to each other and i could say to you god has designed you to do something in this church that no one else can do that's how he composes his body now maybe you don't know what it is okay how do you find out trial and error <laughs> what's your spiritual gift maybe you're not sure Give something a shot. Someone says, don't do that again. Well, then you try something else, right? And you keep trying and you keep trying until you discover how it is that God has designed you to minister in the church. But don't sit around and do nothing because you don't want Summit Bible Church to be a monster. You don't want it to be Mike Wazowski. You want it to be a healthy church that gives glory to God. So get busy and encourage others to do the same. Let's pray. Well, Father, you, you know our hearts and you know that often we become judgmental and critical of others in the church. You know that often we compare ourselves with others in the church and after making those comparisons, we, we sometimes respond with either envy or pride. Lord, please forgive us for doing that. Remind us that it's you who has composed the body of Christ. It's you who has positioned us in his body. It's you who has gifted us to minister in the church. Help us, Lord, not to become distracted from what you've designed us to do. Help us to find great joy in functioning according to your design. And help us to rejoice in knowing that, that no matter what attention 
we get from others or even lack of attention we might receive from others in the church. In the end, the only thing that really matters, Lord, is that Christ's body is fully functioning, unified, balanced, and bringing glory to your name. We pray.